0: All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Stories with Stories. This one is for my government class that kind of help us through. And what we're going to be focusing on today, and this is a pretty big aspect of what's going on in our world today, but we're going to be focusing on the national government and the relationship that it has with the state. Similar to federalism, but we're going to kind of push on to the next part of it. So the first thing that we need to understand about our Constitution is that what it sets up is the type of government we have. And we have a Republican form of government here in the United States. And what that says is that every state in our union, has a Republican form of government, uh, and, and the Supreme Court, they make sure that we are represented by the people who have put us in there. So as we keep going through this kind of entire thing, we need to understand that the main idea of a lot of these focuses is that they're going to they're going to at the end of the day we need to get along. All right? At the end of the day we need to get along. So, one of the first big things that our constitution says our government must do is protect the individuals. So, let's talk about how we do that by making war and keeping peace. And if if an invasion of any single state were to happen against the United States, we would jump in and kind of with with all that, every state would be inclined to do the same type of help. But what happens when those powers come within? What happens when those powers come from you know our own people? Uh, think about back in the nineteen sixties, uh, there was racial unrest in the city of Detroit. So we sent in our national guard, similar to this summer with the Black Lives Matter movement and how they were blowing up essentially, and you know. Going super, you know, out of their way to do all these things and there was, you know, buildings getting caught on fire and Donald Trump sent in the National Guard to kind of restore some of the order. Now, did he maybe go too far? Probably because he sent them into all these different cities instead of letting the people protest. But that is something that is under his rights. He believed that the National Guard, he which he is the commander-in-chief of, he could bring in to kind of spread or ease the tension that is going on for everybody else. At the end of the day, though, however, the national government is still constitutionally bound to respect territory integrity of each state. And basically what that means is that the national government has to respect certain things about the state that they cannot overtake it. And when they get to that point that they are overtaking it, that is where we get these uh, kind of issues between the states and the national government. So that's kind of when it comes to the big stuff right there. But what about when it comes to admitting a new state? What if we wanted to add a new state to our country right now? What if uh, we wanted to make Puerto Rico a member? What if we wanted to add somebody like WAM? What would have to go into that process? So back in 1787, we actually drew up what it meant to be to become a state. So it's something called the Northwest or- Ordinance, and it was... And... Anyway, to continue on with the, the national uh, the Northwest Ordinance of 1878, what it's going to say is that if we had 60,000 people in an area and they could... Kind of proved that they had the provisions for self government, civil law, political rights, all of that, and they wanted to vote on all of this, then they could become a state. So then Congress had to test the final power to admit any new states into our union. Now, obviously, we have done this 37 times since the original. Kentucky, Tennessee, Maine, and West Virginia were created from parts of existing states because, you know, we felt that these certain territories. Were for them to do anything, uh, California, uh, places like Texas and Vermont—they were Texas and Vermont were their own independent republics—and we kind of said, "Hey, listen, why don't you come join in with us, and we'll take you over." Now, when we defeated Mexico in the Mexican War, it led to this overrun of states as we got in there. So, it became a very big process for us to game state. So originally we have our original 13, and then we're going to get another chunk of about uh, 10 or 15 more right within the first you know 15 years of us being a country. Right after we do that, we buy a territory called Louisiana. 10 or 15 more right in the middle. We later annex Texas. We get uh different property from different treaties that give us a little bit more land we annex hawaii we purchase alaska from russia we purchased a little chunk right around mexico as that we took after the mexican-american war Uh, we bought the oregon territory we did all of these things and pushed these states to become a part of ours and then we pass something called the Enabling Act, which is an act directing the people of a territory to frame a proposed state constitution. A territorial convention prepares the constitution, and then it's put to a popular vote in the state, basically saying, do you want to become a state? And then if it passes an act of admission, admission an act creating the new state, it has to be signed by the president and passed by the union. The two newest states we've had are obviously Hawaii and in 1950 and Alaska in 1956 but they both didn't officially become states after being signed in until 1959. But there are other admissions that one has to go through in order to be to become a state but what we need to understand is that those conditions we're not really focused on anymore because of simply the fact that there's only maybe two areas that could potentially become a state in the United States right now. So we kind of try to push those off and not really tend to uh, think about them so much. Let's move on to the next thing. So the, the national government has the power to essentially accept you as a state or decline you as a state, but there's other things that they need to know. So obviously the states and the federal government, they need to share some type of resources with each other because one of them can't pay for all of the problems that we have. So the first thing we need to know, and the best known example of intergovernment cooperation is known as a grant in aid program. So it's grants of federal money that come to the states basically in response to controlling something like that or some of the other things. This also ties back to the Northwest Ordinance and all the people around where we live today and they wanted uh, support for public education. So what they did is they received grants for federal, for federal lands to make schools and colleges and roads and canals and flood work and all these other things to kind of help set up these these engines. Now, back then, back then, they spent a lot of money to help build everything. However, today, our federal government sends out approximately $400 billion dollars and it comes to a third of all of our state and local government spending each year. So if we didn't get this money from our national government, we would have a very uh, hard time to go through things. So there are also three other types of federal grants that can get to the state. So there's a block, a categorical, and a project. So a project grant is a fund used for broad purposes, Well, the states have the freedom to decide how they're going to spend the money. That's going to be social service programs, transportation, education. They get a chunk of money and that everybody else has to kind of figure out what they're going to do with that money as it goes on. Then we have categorical uh, grants. These are like, hey, this is specifically money designed for this. This is your school lunch program, wastewater plants, uh, support for senior citizens, uh, senior centers and senior citizens, construction of airports. And then we have project Base, which this is designed for an individual project that's going to be on there. So this is a we're going to turn local libraries digital, or we're going to implement implement a new education program in your school, and we're going to really kind of show all of those things. Now there are other forms that of of uh, funding that can be that can happen, and this is you know the FBI t- giving money to train police departments and things of that nature. And it also can go the other way in which the states can give aid to the national government. We'll get into that a little bit more on that side. Now, also with our constitution, what becomes interesting is that our constitution is an agreement among states. And it the agreement... Among states, it's designed to reduce how much friction or problems could be between all the individual states because it's supposed to be this idea that we are all working together. And with that being said, no state can work into an agreement with another state or another uh, confederation or another country or anything like that without – congressional agreement. So what that says is that they can't make these, these agreements. Hey, New Jersey can't say, listen, I'm only going to trade with New York, you know, to make things uh, and and vice versa to kind of make things fair and everything like that. Now, how does the law actually cross different state lines? So there is something that goes out there that they decide to pass and it's called the full faith and credit clause, which comes into play in court matters. And what this says is that Somebody, you know, if if I got sued in one state and I tried to run away to another state just to get out of being sued, that is illegal for that to happen. Now there are exceptions that go with it. Uh, it only applies to civil things, not criminal matters. Any criminal matter, there is no exception. If you cross state lines, it has now become a federal crime. As a matter of fact, all right. Other things that kind of fall within this is marriage and divorce. Is that I get married in one state or divorced in one state. That applies to the state that I am living in now. They had to go through all of it, all of these kind of laws with it, and that's actually what led to the same-sex marriage uh, law being passed by by the Supreme Court. <clears throat> Excuse me. The deaf, and then the other thing is that. There, the Constitution makes a provision for those who flee to another state or avoid punishment by a crime. This is called extradition and it is a process for which a fugitive from uh, can be brought to justice and one state has to be returned. We have that in our, in our country and we believe that it goes to wherever it is. Now, there are certain privileges and immunities that are given to certain people within the United States <clears throat> for... Whatever now there is such thing as called an unreasonable distinction, and it's usually uh, for unemployment uh, matters so if you <clears throat> excuse me, it encourages people to buy uh, or to hire people from within within their country and, or within their state and everything like that. I'll kind of let you guys read through all that because a lot of this stuff is not necessarily the most important thing. with there, But just understand that the relationship between the national government and the states is one that is constantly changing. And every year, week, and you saw with the coronavirus, the states overriding the national government in a lot of situations. So just keep that in mind that this is a fluid situation. Sometimes it's more important to know who your president is than your governor. And other times, like recently, your governor is really running the show. On that note, I went really long today. I apologize. I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Rate, review, subscribe, give me some feedback. Let me know how this is going for you if you're enjoying it. Have a good day, everybody. Bye.